Hello and welcome to Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. I'm Ollie Henderson and in today's episode we talk about culture. What does it mean? How do we define and develop it within organisations? And how is this likely to change as the way we work continues to evolve? My guest is ideally placed to advise on this subject as she's spent almost two decades working within some iconic companies which have achieved tremendous success and significant growth. At the same time, she's also seen how some get it wrong. For over 15 years, Melissa Daimler led learning and development at Adobe and then Twitter before moving to WeWork for a year to head up their talent team. She's now a consultant and advisor to various businesses, large and small, and a thought leader on all things HR, learning, and of course, culture. We had a great chat about the connection between culture and strategy, the role of managers as coaches, the importance of a shared culture across an organisation, however large, and why it's critical to treat culture as something you do, not something you have. For more on subjects like this, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast and my newsletter, Future Work Life. Now, as you'll hear, Melissa joined me from Mexico and towards the end of the call, we had a few connectivity issues, but fortunately, we didn't lose any of the fantastic insights she shared. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Melissa Daimler. So Melissa, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I'm going to ask the first question um, with slight pain in my voice because I'd like you to tell us where you're joining us from today. (laughs) I am joining you uh, live from Cabo. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, and I have a beautiful uh, view of the ocean right now, but I won't won't say anything else. (laughs) Absolutely. Let's not dwell on that. Let's start with a big question. You are a culture expert. How do you define culture? Yeah, that, that's that's the big question. I have been at uh, two amazingly great companies, iconic brands, um, really good cultures, and then had an opportunity to be at one that didn't practice, you know, good leadership and good culture. So I think uh, with my career history and what I've experienced, uh, I came to a place a, a few years back where I realized you know, we, we've continued to dilute this word and uh, we, we've conflated it uh, with things like perks and things that you get at the office. And I was frustrated that we continue to have this nebulous definition. And I do believe if done right, it, it is a um, set of behaviors, processes and practices that are um, all uh embedded into an organization based on the values. So I I think you can operationalize culture in a way that people just haven't leveraged. And your your background is within organizational development. Perhaps you could define what organizational development means and where that fits within, within the sort of comings and goings of a company. Sure. So organizational development, uh, is, really looking at an organization from a systems perspective in a very holistic way. So it's everything from, you know, how you design your organization. So what is the organizational structure to what are the roles we need to who are the people that we need and the skills? um, What are the processes that we need to, to get there? What are our values? And then how does that all connect to each other? And then when we, when we tweak one part of that, how does that then connect to another? So if we have our overall strategy and that shifts, 
we should be also looking at our organizational structure. Is there anything that needs to change now as we continue to grow? Mm. Are these still the people that we need in our company? So maybe it'd be useful to talk about some practical examples then. So your experience has been to work for many brands, many companies that we will have heard of. So, so talk me through your experience over the sort of last 15 years and how that approach to organizational development has influenced the work that you've done. And perhaps also then, as you mentioned before, how the varying cultures determined the successes of those mm-hmm. companies and the challenges that they faced. Along mm-hmm. The way. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say there's a, a couple of themes in my career. One is, is this passion or this, this need to always look at uh, things as a system, you know, how does everything connect? I think this goes way back to when I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest and we sailed on, on a lake and, I always was fascinated how on a sailboat, you know, you could just move the boat just a couple of inches and you could direct the winds based on the sail and you move the boat just a little bit and everything kind of goes into place. And so I I was always fascinated by how things connected. I would say another thing, another theme is just, I always enjoyed building things. You know, how do I take something from nothing and continue to evolve it. And so I think, you know, earlier in my career, uh, I got interested in coaching when it wasn't that as popular as it is now. It just started to come into play early 90s. I was one of the first employees of of Coach University and really got interested in um, and noticed that when I would work with somebody one-on-one, it wasn't just you know, working with them, it was working with their personal system, you know, what are their habits? What are their practices? What are their processes? How is their team either helping them or getting in the way of of what they're trying to do? And oftentimes, I would uh, coach their team members as well. Um, We would coach, uh, we would have coaching sessions as a group. So I, there was this very strong connection between kind of individual development and team development. And I always kept that in mind throughout my career, that whatever we were doing to develop the organization, whatever changes we were thinking about or going through, how was that then uh, impacting individuals? How do we make sure that the individuals develop along with the organization? So as we scale, they're also building their skill sets and experience. Um, So, you know, I, I started um, at Adobe kind of with that context. I, I launched the first coaching program there and worked with a number of different, really with all of the different functions as an HR generalist, was able to start the organizational development function. I think at Adobe, when I started, it was under 3,000 employees. And so it was still, you know, a big company, but it was when I left, it was 12,000. And now I think they're uh, twenty. 5,000 employees globally. So just a lot of growth. And, you know, we knew that we needed some kind of function focused on this because we were acquiring um, a large, the largest company, the uh, the largest acquisition uh, we had ever done. We wanted to do it right. And there was this focus on not just what I would call assimilating, you know, kind of teaching them how we do it here versus 
integrating. How do we take the best of that company and yeah. with what we have and bring that together? And, you know, we retained 95% of, of the people that we acquired for, I think it was at least four years after, after the, the acquisition. So um, just a lot of success right there. And we moved our business model, you know, Sean knew, you know, it seems funny to say now that it was a huge risk to move into the cloud, but it was, and there were a lot of decisions that had to be made to, to make that leap because, and you know, this, you know, when you're already successful, why change? (laughs) So this is always that dilemma. Like, could we be more Mm -hmm. successful? Could we have a bigger impact? And that was the the crossroads that that Adobe was at to figure out if we should move into you know um, more of a of a services model, and we did. And I think that company continues to be successful. Yeah, and 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 interesting, you talk about the focus at the team level. So it's often a debate about how much a culture can permeate an organization as a whole versus individual cultures within different teams. What's your view on that? Because Culture doesn't seem like it's not a top-down thing, is it? It's so it, it, there's kind of a combination of so many different factors, and it's an ever-evolving thing. So when people talk about a company having a great culture, I wonder whether actually that is an accurate reflection of what it's like to work within the company, and whether actually, in reality, there are different groups, different teams, in different locations which actually have a different approach. What unifies a culture within mm-hmm. a company of the size of Adobe? Yeah. I I have a very strong opinion about that. There's this idea that as you grow, um, so many companies are afraid that you're going to get too bureaucratic and there's going to be too many processes and we're going to lose the the essence and the the energy and the hustle and all of those things that brought us and, and frankly brought us to the company and made the company great. Um, I, I think that there's a way to create constraints or, you know, kind of clear processes that allow people to have more freedom. Um, And I learned that a lot at Adobe uh, that, you know, when you, when you don't kind of share what the boundaries are, it's confusing and people are inconsistent with how they work together. And I think we saw that last year. I think what some of the good companies did during the crises of 2020 was be much more intentional about how they were working together as a team and communicating, probably over communicating uh, in kind of what was happening and what needed to get done. And so I think, you know, at at Adobe and Twitter, a a lot of times what what we would do in in these um, kind of team and management sessions would be to kind of connect what is our overall kind of vision, what is the strategy, what are the top OKRs within the company, and then how does your team fit in, and then how do you fit in as an individual? That doesn't mean you can't have your own identity as a team. That that complements that. Yeah. I think where it gets mm. confusing is when teams start creating their own values and have their own principles and their own set of kind of there's obviously the technical and functional skills, but if they start creating kind of these are the leadership skills that we demand for our team that are different than kind of what we said as a company, then that gets into even uh, challenges when we're trying to kind of 
create this mobility across functions. You know, when people kind of get to a certain point in a function, is there an opportunity for them to move to a different team to continue to grow if, if they've stopped and there's no opportunity in their current team? So I think the point of having, you know, kind of consistent values and practices and processes is to have a consistent language and approach so that people have that anchor as everything else yeah. is changing around them. Managers are changing, you know, even the strategy is changing, you know, a lot last year. I strongly believe that there needs to be that consistent culture across the entire organization. So I've got a couple of follow-up questions for that, but the, the first one, and this relates to a, a comment you made um, in your first answer, which compared one of the companies you've worked for, which perhaps didn't have as... Um, What's the best way to put this as positive a culture compared to two of the other ones? I'm guessing WeWork was the the, the company you're referring to. Good guess. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm psychic. Um, so yeah, what, what went wrong? Because I think if you looked in some sense, they were very clear about their values. And actually some of those values you you might on the surface think, yeah, they, they look strong. It's, it's a, it was a culture in, in, in some ways of sort of challenging the consensus and, and making sure that people understand that they can speak up but actually it didn't manifest in that way so I'm just wondering where you get the balance between articulating your values and making sure everyone understands them and perhaps those not actually working in reality yeah I mean we work had great values I mean I think one of the things that I mm. talk about a lot is that you know it's um uh there's kind of your foundational values the assumed values that everybody has. Like, you know, we all want to have integrity. You know, we all know that we need to collaborate. You know, those are those are just kind of foundational. But I think where the 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 focus is where the, the true exercise comes in is how how are we different? How do we differentiate ourselves? And you know, there was some interesting, I mean, one of the values was gratitude. Um, uh, so they, they were interesting. They had, they had splashy neon signs on, on the walls and the offices. I mean, the biggest thing that was missing is that there was no connection to how those show up every day. You know, so when I talk about processes, I'm talking about uh, how we hire, how we interview. You know, are there specific questions in the interview process around really how we work here, you know, which is, which is our values and behaviors? Are, are behaviors rewarded based on what we said we expected through our values? Or do people just get promoted because somebody knows somebody? Um, and, yeah. you know, other processes around, you know, even feedback and development. Uh, so I think there was a gap there. And I think, you know, every time an employee sees that gap, it chips away at the trust of, of the company. And when you see kind of yeah. leaders doing whatever they want to be doing, and in fact, doing the opposite of what we said the values were all about, that creates a, an environment where people don't feel psychologically yeah. safe. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, clearly, you should articulate your values from the outset. And I know you work with early stage companies now as well. And I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm guessing part of that process is to help them define and articulate the values which are going to determine that culture but it can be challenging to 
it can be challenged to adhere to everything along the way and make sure that it's clearly communicated internally and externally. Again, let's think about a practical example. How do you approach that with a with a sort of early stage business? I know some people listening are involved in startups, for example. What would be a, a, a typical process to, to go through to ensure that you're getting the balance between articulating the founder's vision of how the business would work, but also incorporating the, the views of the team that are working with them? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I, I do work with a lot of uh, startups now. Um, sometimes I'll come in and they, they haven't articulated them at all yet. Like they have an idea, but they, they haven't put anything out there yet. Um, sometimes I'll come in and they actually have shared the values and they're nervous about updating them or, or evolving them. And I think that's, that's a, a misconception that's out there that once you have your values done and out and on the website, they can never be changed. I think you should always be looking at your values. Um, you know, maybe not as often as your strategy, but I, but I think, you know, annually at least, um, you know, kind of making sure that these still kind of work for us. Um, and you know, at Adobe, I think we iterated and evolved our values three times over the course of 11 years that I, that I was even there. The process, I believe, needs to be not just top down, but also bottom up. I think it needs to be co-created. So you definitely want to understand from the founders and that core um, leadership team, you know, is there anything that's sacred? Is there anything that, you know, before we even delve into this process, you want to make sure stays? Or are you absolutely... Um, sure that there is a value that just doesn't work right now that you want to get rid of. And so being clear about that ahead of time, I think is really important before you involve anybody else in the process. Like on a good day, um, what's happening? You know, don't even talk about values and behaviors. What are we doing? You know, when, when we're in the flow, when things are going well, what's happening? Uh, when you're working with team members who are being really effective, what are some of the, the things that they're doing? That's a very kind of design thinking approach where you're really trying to get in the shoes of um, the the people that are in this environment day to day. And then we start talking about the opposite of that. You know, when things aren't working, what's happening? You know, you can obviously that's a great entry point as well. And then, you know, once we get kind of a core set of values, we then move into more of those behavioral statements, you know, things that you can observe Um, things that if I was giving you feedback on, it would be really clear. So I always uh, recommend that we stay away from any kind of idioms or um, philosophical statements, Uh, you know, like don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, not everybody knows what that means. (laughs) So, um, so I I think, and, and making sure that everybody um, there's a, again, a diverse state set of statements that where everybody feels represented Um, the other piece I would say is that, you know, people can go a little crazy with this, that, you know, you can have 10 to 12 values and we end up focusing more of our time on trying to remember what those are versus focusing on, are we living these? Are we embedding these? And the behaviors are really where I want to focus. So once we have those core words or statements, then we have, you know, two to three statements, behaviors, um, per value that we really kind of dig into. Um, so ultimately and ideally you have 
um, fewer than 15 kind of statements that then we can use to embed into all of those processes we talked about. I'm really interested in how the last year has changed people's outlook on Mm -hmm. work in general, because, uh, I mean, there's clearly plenty of organizations which were operating in a remote fashion before. I think typically we'd see tech companies and we know teams of engineers or software developers who might work in a distributed manner. I think largely we've adapted pretty well as a workforce in general to working remotely, but that must put pressure on organizations. It must subtly change culture. The demands on leadership and managers must have to change in order to continue the types of conversations around culture that we're having we had before is that is that fair mm-hmm. fair summary that's fair that's fair i mean i i, I think uh nobody knows how this is going to turn out i mean i think we're all kind of in this very big question of what is what is the hybrid workforce um is remote going to work i mean i think a lot of i mean a lot of the good companies are asking more questions than uh saying, pretending that they have the answers right now. I I do think over the last year, um, you know, we learned that we can work remotely, (laughs) that it does, it it, it is, it is possible. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we also uh, validated that culture isn't necessarily uh, what's at the office. It's not the ping pong tables. It's not the maple bacon donuts at Twitter. It's not the hint water. Mm -hmm. It is how we work together. It is those relationships And so, you know, I, I think some of the, the companies that uh, kind of weathered this the best were the ones that had already had a very strong kind of purpose, culture and strategy in place. Um, so they weren't scrambling to figure out, you know, um, how are we going to work together in, in this mode? Uh, they were able to pivot very quickly, um, not only on their business strategy, but in how they worked. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think some of the lessons from that is that, you know, we, we need to be much more intentional about how we're working. Um, I, I think there's so much, I mean, you, you, you write about it and you read about it, uh, all the studies and research out there that are coming out from last year that, you know, we initially thought, wow, we are so much more productive. And in reality, um, I think that that we weren't quite as productive as we thought. Um, mm. We yeah. we are working more hours, but we're having the same output. Um, yeah. You know, we have many more meetings now because I think managers want that kind of line of sight versus just being able to train your managers to focus on outcomes um, and results yeah. and check in on actually how you're doing as a, as a human during, during this crisis versus, oh my God, you know, have you, did you, I didn't get that report yet. I need to get that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think what people really want is flexibility and connection. And so I think a lot of companies yeah. now are trying to figure out how do I design for that? You know, whether we're all remote or whether it's a hybrid, I, I want to make sure that that we give flexibility in a way that uh, allows people to have some boundaries. Um, because ironically, I think over time we had less flexibility last year. Um, yeah. A lot of companies that I worked with, they realized, you know, gosh, I'm 
my employees are working from, you know, 6am now until, you know, 10 o'clock at night and don't feel like they can get away from their computer because somebody's going to think they're not working. Um, Mm. So how do you, how do you uh, make sure that you are understanding individual needs and tying those again with the organizational um, kind of rhythms uh, and then um, figuring out ways for people to connect. There's a lot of companies now um, figuring out the, the physical workspace. You know, so if if we want, um, I think Fujitsu was one of them where they were they were talking about um, they have hubs, satellite, and then shared offices. So if you want to um, uh, cooperate or collaborate. They've created these um, hubs uh, across different cities for people to come together. If yeah. there's not a lot of brainstorming and you just want to check in, but some of you want to see each other in person, then there's these satellite offices that they have available. And then they have shared offices mm-hmm. for you to do focused work if you can't do that at home. So, you know, how yeah. we work and the different types of work, I think, is being thought through in a much more um in intentional way, because let's face it, we weren't exactly <laughs> working effectively before. I mean, we were running no. to, to meeting, to meeting and on email, and we didn't have time for deep work or any kind of um, strategic thinking until at night, you know, when, when the kids went to bed. So yeah. I, I think it's a good, it's been a good forcing function. And let's talk about training and learning in general. Because, well, there's a few aspects to this. I know that you've spent a lot of your career focused Mm -hmm. on the importance of learning, whether it's from a coaching capacity or whether it's structuring learning programs within the companies that you've worked with. It it strikes me that what you've just described demonstrates why learning has to change. So I'm not just talking about functional skills. You know, if you're a developer, clearly you need to be up to date with the, the 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 most recent platforms and frameworks if you're a designer you you know there's there's certain things which you're always going to have to learn which relate to your job what i'm talking about is the way that we work and the skills that managers need to operate in a different world a world where their employees aren't sat in front of them all day long when companies get ongoing training right what what does it look like what sort of format does it take So I've always thought about learning as a community experience. I've always thought that the best way to learn is not, you know, jamming in, you know, 30 people into a classroom for two days or a week. um, And then, you know, all of a sudden they become this great leader that you then put them back into their their day jobs and they're going to be amazing. Um, And I don't learn like that. I'm a terrible student in that kind of setting. The kinds of learning experience that, you know, I've always designed are really cohort based, you know, so you have, um, you know, new managers coming together, you know, maybe um, 10 to 15 managers in a cohort over time. So three to six months, and they are able to, uh, it's it's what I would call a, a threefer. So you're able to kind of learn new frameworks, learn new ideas different ways to think about delegating or making decisions. You're able to bring in real life scenarios um, to make it practical. So you can, you can practice coaching and, you know, uh, working with your colleagues and, and, and how to do that with your employees. And you can also get coaching in a, in a safe environment over time. And so 
you know, the advantage of that is then you go out and you be with your team and you practice some things and then you come back and share the, the war stories and, you know, what you learned, what worked, what didn't work um, in that kind of group coaching session. So I, I think this last year, more and more companies are starting to do that because we've, we've now, we're now all on, on Zoom and, you know, we have these, these great features, you know, breakout rooms and um, ways, mm. ways to chat and um, come together in an even much easier way than we did when we were all in the office. But I think from a learning standpoint, um, learning is, is, again, about community. We, we would, you know, at all the companies I worked at, when we would do these, um, design these learning experiences, the one thing people talked about is, um, yes, it was great. I learned a lot of new skills, but I so enjoyed connecting with my colleagues and getting validation that they were also yeah. going through some of the same things that I was dealing with. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? I think this is the thing. It's reframing, I think, the last year. And clearly, it's been very challenging in many ways, but it does present an opportunity, and, and particularly for using technology to enable our, us connecting in a very different way. I think where we've got it wrong has been effectively taking the things that we did we did wrong before and moving them onto Zoom and therefore just draining people from staring into the screen all day. But I do see plenty of examples, as I'm sure you do, of companies just rethinking the way that the working week looks and, and actually creating more opportunities for that heads down focused time where you can mm-hmm. switch off notifications, but then incorporating sessions, which, as you described, are both a combination of learning new skills, mm-hmm. but ultimately engaging with your colleagues in a way which you might not have done if you'd have stuck to the usual form. Um, that we were experiencing 12 months ago so I do think from that point of view there's there's, there are positive signs and um, I think it's just it's sometimes accepting that things have changed and embracing it that um, some people have struggled with over the past 12 months yeah I mean I um, I was just reading this great HB article and they were talking about um, a lot of employees now are more depressed or more concerned than they were in mm. crisis mode because i think in crisis mode you can you have a mission you know you kind of know what you're doing yeah. and we're now in that mode of exactly what you said we're kind of rethinking redesigning what work is and it's hard work i mean we've just started this work and people are exhausted yeah. from the last year so i i think um you know, really over communicating with employees right now and making sure that you're bringing them along the journey. You know, you're continuing to ask them what's working, what's not working. Like we haven't figured this out yet. And it's not like we're going to roll out a big master plan next week. That's going to completely change your job. Um, Hmm. But I think going back to skills and you know, the role, I've always thought the role of manager is one of the most important roles in a, in a company. Um, I know you have movements like holacracy and people saying that, you know, we don't need managers. And I, I think if you define manager as that, you know, kind of command and control and somebody who's just out to, um, you know, make sure you have results, then of course, I mean, that's not, that's not managing in, 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 um, in my yeah. world. And so, you know, last year we saw the need for managers to be both empathetic and, you know, kind of be execution oriented. You know, so how do you how do you be that coach and and also make sure that that the job gets done? 
So I think a lot of companies are doubling down on making sure that their managers are, are taken care of because they know they have to take care of their teams. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think um, making sure that um, they have a say in how, how we do redesign um, how we're working. And that's where I would say, Ali, that there's differences in how teams work. That's where I think you can get into you know, some of the team practices and everybody doesn't have to have to have the same um, way of working. So how are we going to do our meetings? You know, are they still going to be an hour yeah. every week or do we do, do we do 10 minutes every day? How are we going to make um, decisions? How are we going to give feedback to each other? Um, um, you know, how we do that is, is definitely um, team oriented. Yeah. Talking about reimagining things, you've got a book, uh, which is going to yeah. be uh, on its way, I believe. Next and it's, spring. If I've got the title right, Reculturing. Is that, yes. is that the title? What, that's what that's that, a title as of today. Explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, plenty of time. Yeah. So, um, you know, this goes back to kind of where we started. I mean, I, I think, you know, culture, um, that word has been around for, for so long from an organizational perspective. Uh, in my research, I realized that uh, a guy by the name of, of Dr. Jocks 70 years ago was, was doing a case study for this uh, metal bearings company and was looking at kind of um, uh, corporate behaviors and uh, was, was really fascinated with, with how people were working. And then it kind of evolved from there. Ed Shine uh, also talked about assumptions and behaviors and values in the 80s. Um, but I, I feel like it, this, there's so many people that have talked about parts of a good culture, you know, uh, but nobody's really kind of connected all of those pieces and showed us how to do that in a way that is, is relevant for the knowledge worker of today. So reculturing is this idea that um, culture is more of a, a verb than a noun. It's not something you have, it's something that you do. And so we should always be looking at, you know, our, our values and behaviors. We should continuously be looking at um, our processes and making sure that those are mapping. Um, always be looking at our practices uh, you know, Peter Drucker, you know, famously talked about, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I, I think culture is very important, but I also think that it has to be tied. And here's that connection piece again, to your strategy and to your purpose. And so, you know, as a leader and a manager, you know, I, I think part of your job is to make sure all of those pieces um, are connected. And I just got so frustrated. I, I continue to get frustrated at you know, a lot of the books that are out there and, you know, there's, there's endless books and, and videos and articles on culture. And everybody kept talking about that it was a vibe or, you know, it's just this feeling or it's organic. And I, I, I think we have much more control over it than, than we've realized. And that's my last question. So the world is changing rapidly. It's clearly significantly changed in the 20 years you've been working in, in, in tech companies. Imagine you're 22 years old again and you're just you know, graduating from college. What sort of role do you think you'd be interested in going into? And what might you advise yourself if you're entering the workplace now? I, I think being in HR right now is, is um, it, it's a fascinating time to kind of rebuild as we said, what, what work looks like and, and designing kind of a different way of 
um, working with each other. Um, so I, I think I might still be interested in going into, into organizational development and, and learning. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, if I look back and I've said this to all of my nieces and nephews, none of the jobs I took were based on any job description. You know, we, we revised them or we co-created something else. And so just because yeah. it's on a website and, you know, it's, it's, um, it has a job description, you can add or, you know, kind of co-create whatever, whatever you want, uh, with that company. Um, in terms of, you know, what I would recommend or what I would give advice, uh, to my 22 year old self around is, you know, being really clear, same thing with, as, uh, for us personally, as I say, with organizations, be really clear about your own values and, you know, your, um, your own kind of system, if you will, uh, what, what is your purpose? And again, that can change, but, um, your own foundation, I think is really important to continue to focus on. And with that, Melissa was gone. Our connection to Mexico was lost. And as I said right at the beginning, fortunately, we didn't lose any of the great insights that Melissa shared with us. So thanks again to Melissa for joining me today. Thanks to you for listening. Please make sure you do join me next week. I've got an amazing guest to talk about the future of work and offices. We'll be covering some themes that I haven't really talked about on this podcast before. So make sure you check it out. Until then, have a great week.